Is beauty really in the eye of the beholder? In other words, is beauty subjective or objective? And how does this speak to homeschooling our kids? This is the topic today on the Dorenda Wilson podcast. Welcome moms, I'm Dorenda, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to 10, and 28-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of three books, The Unhurried Homeschooler, The Four-Hour School Day, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart. You can find all three of those books on Amazon. You can also find them at my website, dorendawilson.com, and you can find The Four-Hour School Day at any of your favorite booksellers in addition to the places that I just mentioned. If you're interested in getting a free digital download to a devotional that I wrote called Encouraging a Homeschool Heart, this is a devotional that I wrote specifically to accompany the four-hour school day, and you can get that for free by simply signing up for my monthly email, and you can do that by clicking in the link that I'm going to leave in the show notes. I also want to remind you that I have an online mentoring course where I dive more deeply into what it looks like to take a simple, unhurried approach to homeschooling, kindergarten through 12th grade. And this is a video series that I I created, and I hope that you will check that out as well. Um, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Lastly, are you looking for a new math curriculum? CTC Math specializes in providing online video tutorials that make that take a multi-sensory approach to learning. Creative graphics and animations synchronized with the friendly voice of internationally acclaimed teacher Pat Murray makes learning math easy and effective. It is favorably reviewed by Kathy Duffy's 103 Top Picks and the Old Schoolhouse Crew Review. The lessons are short and concise to help your child break down concepts and appreciate math in a whole new way. To find out more, go to ctcmath.com. Uh, that's ctcmath.com, and you can also uh, tr- do a free trial, which is really fun because then you can really find out the ins and outs of that particular program and if it's a good fit for you. So I hope you'll check that out. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Okay, so one of our listeners wrote in sharing how much she enjoyed the three-part series that Wes and I did on The End Times and asked to put in a request for another podcast with him. And so she had this to say, we would love to hear him speak more on the idea that you can't understand beauty without morality. He mentioned this in talking about taking his six-year-old to Italy. This seems so relevant, especially in this particular day that we're living in. So today, Wes Johnson is joining us again to walk us through answering the questions, can we understand beauty without morality? And also, he's going to talk about why this affects our homeschooling. So if you don't know Wes, he's one of the elders at our church, husband and homeschooling father of five. He joined us for several episodes and is always a favorite guest. Um, I love his candid and solid biblical explanations for the topics we've covered. Here are just a few, and I'll leave a link in the show notes so you can go back and listen if you want to. We did Applying Romans 13 to the Here and Now. I think that was the first one we did, Mm -hmm. uh, which we did in the middle of COVID. So that was fun. (laughs) Um, The Importance of Biblical Education the biblical importance of family, recognizing false teachers, the dangers of a self-help culture, how to find a biblical church, biblical discipline, and biblical submission. So again, I'll leave links in the show notes um, as well as uh, links to the three-part series on the end times. Okay, Wes, welcome. I'm glad you're here with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I'll also say this chair is a little bit squeaky, so if you hear that, that's that's what that is. It's the the chair, it's not you. (laughs) All right, so I'd like you to start by retelling the story about taking your six-year-old to Italy because some of the listeners may not have heard that story, and that way yes. it kind of gives them a, a orientation as to what we're talking about today. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, um, when my oldest daughter was at the time six, now she's 13, 
Um, but uh, we had some friends who were missionaries over in Italy, Salerno, Italy, a beautiful part of southern Italy uh, that is really, really famous because it's like the mountain on one side and the ocean on the other. It's like the most picturesque. If you type in pictures of Italy, mm-hmm. it's this region often right. that will come up. It's, right. it's gorgeous. And uh, so we had this idea, like, let's go visit our missionary friends because we can just have airfare sure. and be able to stay for free. And uh, Ava's best friend at the time was the daughter of this missionary family. So mm-hmm. we were like, yeah, let's take our six-year-old to Italy, you know. And um, so we took her, but daughter still had uh, school. They had actually been trying out an Italian school and we're trying to get her to do some language learning, those sorts of things. And so there were there were times when Ava in the over the course of that trip was just stuck doing whatever right. mom and dad were doing. Right. And uh, so we went to castles and we looked at wonderful landscapes and all of these things that were incredible and beautiful and historical and culturally significant. And as you can imagine, m- most of those things were lost on my six-year-old, <laughs> who was like, uh, I would like some gelato, and I would like to be playing dolls with my friend, and all of the things basically that you can do in America, right. where we are all the time. <laughs> she wanted to do those things. <laughs> and uh, and so anyway, uh, I, I, apparently I said, sort of in passing, right. in one of the other the podcasts, that uh, there's a moral dimension to seeing, perceiving, and enjoying beauty. And you actually have to grow into it. That mm. ma- maturity, morality are attached to and associated with mm. beauty. And mm. we actually have to grow to the point where we are properly experiencing and exulting in it. Wow. wow. So Yeah, yeah. I've said that all the time. You know, kids are, uh, people take their, you know, five-year-old to Disneyland. And I'm like, why? Right. You spent... <laughs> $5,000 and they don't care, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. maybe there's an occasional kid, they'll, they'll like it for the day, but as far as the memories go, like sure. even being able to retrieve those memories, yeah. that's really, really young. And so that's why I'm all about like, keep it simple when they're young, stay home, keep it cheap. That's right. <laughs> that's know? right. Because, you know, later on, they will appreciate some of those things and it would yeah. be nice to be able to do those down the road. But mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes homeschooling families try to jump into that way too soon or just parents in general yeah. trying to say, oh we're gonna go to the zoo and they're 18 month old well <laughs> okay I mean and I did that you know it's like because sure. you want to be the mom sure. that takes your kid to the zoo and by and the now way it's like I want to post pictures of me doing mommy things or right, right. <laughs> exactly. Right. exactly yeah there wasn't Instagram back then so it was yeah. just for me yeah. <laughs> it was all me um but anyway yeah it's kind of it is it's lost on them yeah 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 hmm. no absolutely absolutely so Anyway, that may, maybe being some some personal context right. for even what generated this line of thinking in my own experience, mm-hmm. you know, and thinking through how could something so breathtaking be in front of my six-year-old and there just be zero, uh, you know, mm-hmm. no light in her eyes, mm-hmm. no care or concern, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what is that? And then even thinking about some of my own formative experiences of things that my parents would say, oh, yeah, when you were in middle school, we took you here or there or whatever, and, you know, later down the road, I'm like, could we do that again? Right. Uh, so I can actually appreciate it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Would you just transfer some money into my account and I can go do that again? Right. <laughs> you know, what do you want to yeah. do? 
Um, and so anyway, two big things that I want to try to communicate today. Uh, one is just the fact that beauty is an objective category. Okay. Um, that's something that is pretty foreign to modern thinking, mm-hmm. to think that beauty is uh, objective and empirical and, you know, not right. just preferential. Sure, sure. And then the second uh, being that after having established that it is objective, uh, that because beauty is objective, enjoying it is in fact a matter of morality, Mm. Uh, that if there are things that really are beautiful, then our failure to enjoy those things does say something about our moral state. Uh, It has implications about that. It's revelatory Mm -hmm. if we do or do not enjoy things that are objectively beautiful. Uh, And then finally, in closing, we'll try to apply that to uh, our children's education. So so first, obviously, we have a saying. You alluded to it uh, earlier. We have a saying in our culture that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right. Um, I was was trying to trace that out and figure out where that came from. It turns out that uh, some author in like the 19th century was the first one to say it. So somewhere in the 1800s was when that became sort of like a cultural aphorism that was floating around. Uh, But the idea of it, uh, we can actually find even as early as Ben Franklin and David Hume right after him. David Hume was a a famous philosopher who, despite the fact that most of us don't know his name, his ideas have really permeated and shaped the way that we think. And uh, so Benjamin Franklin famously said this in 1741, beauty like supreme dominion is but supported by opinion. So he's talking about like the system of government that's in place in in a, a certain region or over a certain people is assumed to be right because it's in place. He's saying, don't make that assumption. It's just like beauty, that being subjective. Mm. That that's hmm. his point in in making the uh, in making the assertion. Uh, later, David Hume, who I just mentioned, said this: beauty in things exists merely in the mind which contemplates them, which is just. A more sophisticated way of saying what was later popularized, that being beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So what Franklin's saying is is the same idea. Uh, And so basically what we're saying is each individual determines for him or herself what is and is not beautiful. It's totally a matter of preference. It's totally a matter of subjectivity. It's all relative. Uh, and, and so that's really not to get super technical, but basically what that is, is humanism, mm-hmm. which had already begun to grow in Renaissance thinking, which began basically in the 1400s is right. when most historians would say the Renaissance began. Uh, and so the, the mantra really of, of humanism is that man is the measure of all things. Mm-hmm. Man is the measure of all things. And so man's the one who determines uh, what is good, what is true, what is beautiful. Those were the virtues effectively that had been encapsulated that made up Western civilization, Western thinking, that we wanted to pursue that which was good, that which was beautiful, that which was true. And then humanism gets married to that and said, well, man is actually the measure or the determiner of all of those things. Mm -hmm. So man decides what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. Uh, Now, this is obviously in conflict, though, with the biblical assertion that God is the measure of all things. Not that man is the measure of all things. So goodness, truth, and beauty are defined by and actually come from God's very nature. Um, And it's important even to say that those things come from God's nature uh, because there's a big apologetic thing. If any of your listeners uh, have gotten into any apologetics or they've got a teenager who asks lots of questions about the existence of God or whatever, one of the things that they're going to find just on atheist pages and YouTube videos and whatever is something called the Euthyphro Dilemma. 
And basically it was posing the question with regard to the good, the true, and the beautiful. Um, does God say this thing is right or this thing is true or this thing is, is beautiful uh, because it is? Or does it become those things when he says it? So when God declares X is good, is that because outside of God, it is good independent of him? Meaning that there is some standard over him that even mm -hmm. he has to submit mm -hmm. to? Mm -hmm. Or does it just become good when he says it? Meaning that those things are basically arbitrary. It's not that those things are objectively good. It's just that when God says that it's good, it becomes good. In the same way that if an emperor is the ruler of a land, mm -hmm. it is because he says. And uh, basically, uh, the, rea the response to that, the Christian response to that is neither of those. That's a false choice. But actually, goodness, truth, and beauty are bound up in who God is, such that that's what emerges from him. And that's what gets baked into creation by virtue of the fact that it's a reflection of his nature. Um, and so anyway, every Christian knows to say that goodness and truth are objective. Right. Every Christian, right. that's, that's Christianity right. 101, right? Right. We're going to say man doesn't get to define truth. He's subordinate to it. And man doesn't get to define goodness or just call it, say, morality, if right. you want. Uh, those things are defined for us, and we submit to those definitions. But most Christians are fine to jettison beauty mm. and just treat that the way that we refuse to treat those other two virtues. Uh, and so we'll say man is the measure of beauty, but we want to say God's the measure of truth. God's the measure of goodness. Uh, but why? Mm -hmm. Why one of those and not the other two? Uh, and, and the reason this becomes really important is because if man is the measure of what is beautiful, then you have all sorts of biblical texts that you're going to run into real significant problems with. And here's where, where I'll really start to make the case for beauty being on an objective category. Um, and, and actually, you can see, too, that we when we said beauty is in the eye of the beholder, we thought that we could continue to say, but truth, God determines and Goodness, God determines. I want to say, look around at our culture. We gave away beauty, and unbeknownst to us, we actually gave away the other two virtues as well. Mm -hmm. Because we started saying beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and now we're saying things like truth is in the mind of the thinker, mm -hmm. right? Which is why, mm -hmm. like, you're entitled to your own facts. Right. And why you what you identify as matters to people, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, no, this is objectively true. And how you identify today as a man or a woman or mm -hmm. as straight or gay or mm -hmm. whatever is immaterial to reality. Oh, can I just insert a quick story? Yeah. This afternoon. Okay. This is so not, this is, this is my world, not your world. Okay. So <laughs> I'm talking to my husband. I'm like, I've never understood the difference between, you know, menopause and postmenopause. So I'm looking it up. Right. And I'm reading these articles where it's describing, you know, all the things that associated with that. But it's not saying women, it's saying people. <laughs> and I looked at my husband and I said, never, ever, ever since the beginning of time has a man ever had a cycle. Why are they pretending <laughs> that Correct. he has? So anyway, that Correct. speaks to that because that's exactly, this, this is the trickle down yep. from what you're. Exactly. For some reason, we put these other two things in a different category. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. so anxious to see where you go. With yeah. This. And that, and that's a good point that mm-hmm. you're, you're like, you have to connect all these sure. things because it may, you know, the listener may, may be thinking this already sounds kind of esoteric and philosophical and it is. Right. I mean, you got to define beauty. Right. Like uh, that's going to be philosophical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's not at all impractical. Right. Unless you think that all the current nonsense being foisted upon you is somehow impractical. Right. right. No, and it's I'm very sure practical. there's moms out there going, you just had this conversation with the elder from your church. <laughs> well, oh, you know, we're all on the same page. It's all good. Oh, man, that's funny. That's funny. But, uh, yeah, I just, you're right. I mean, it is absolutely that. When we gave up that, mm-hmm. it's now trickling down to these yep. other things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So good. We gave up that. We actually gave up everything. Mm-hmm. We actually gave it all up. Because if man isn't isn't constrained by God's definition of beauty, why should he be constrained by any of God's other definitions? Mm-hmm. But right. in fact, as we're about to see, God does have a definition mm-hmm. of beauty. All right. I can't he wait does. to hear this. And so some Bible, uh, some, some Bible verses that will help to say at least this much that beauty is an objective, not a subjective category. Okay. So Genesis uh, 29, verse 17, we read this. Uh, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. We're all familiar with Jacob right. and Rachel and right. who we wanted to marry and Laban tricks in that and he debacle. ends up getting yeah, exactly the whole debacle, right? <laughs> we, we know the scene. We know the scene. Um, and then you're kind of like, oh, you know, poor Jacob. And then, oh, poor Leah. Poor Leah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, who do you empathize exactly. with here? And, yeah. and one thing that I really love about that story is uh, you can see the father heart of God there because uh, Rachel is not the one who has a child through whom the messianic line mm, goes. Mm. Uh, he gives that honor and that distinction to Leah. Mm, uh, and so you can see how God cares for mm-hmm. his daughters mm-hmm. in that. I've always, I've always loved that particular detail mm-hmm. um, about God's father heart there. Um, in first Samuel 16, 12, we're told that David was ruddy and quote, had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Uh, Job 42, 15 says that in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. Mm. Psalm 96, 9 tells us to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And Psalm 27, 4 tells us that God himself is beautiful when it says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here it is, to gaze upon the beauty Mm. of the Lord. Now, my point in reading all those is to say these are divinely inspired texts, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we hold to as Christians, that the Holy Spirit is the one who's inspiring these utterances, which is to say that it wasn't, take Rachel and Leah as an example, it wasn't Moses' opinion, he wrote the book of Genesis, it wasn't Moses' opinion that Rachel was beautiful and Leah was homely. It was God's. Wow. Right? Yeah. That's God making the pronouncement. Rachel, oh yeah, Rachel's beautiful. Right. Leah, eh. not so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Moses didn't say that. God said that. Put that in, you know, pop that down into our culture. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's hate speech. You can't say that. What about body positivity? Right. But we're talking about God here. Right. Perfect, holy. Yes. Yes. Yep. Wow. That's amazing. And same with David, right? Yeah. Who's pronouncement? Same with Job's daughters. And same with Jesus. Yeah. They said there was nothing to draw you to him. Exactly. He wasn't particularly handsome. That's correct. And this is God talking. Yeah. Isaiah 53. (laughs) Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely. And so that establishes at a minimum. The fact that these are objective categories, mm-hmm. uh, unless we want to say that, uh, like, let's rewind the clock 
And you're there when God makes the pronouncement that Rachel is beautiful and Leah is kind of homely. Uh, are you going to be the one who's like, God, actually, to be honest with you, um, I disagree with your assessment. I think that uh, Leah is a little bit hotter. Yeah. Right. Like, who's right? Yeah. In, in the event that yeah. you get in an argument with God right. about whose perception of beauty is right, which one of the two of you mm-hmm. is correct? Mm-hmm. Well, God is. Right. Which means that beauty has to be an objective category. Mm-hmm. It's not simply a matter of taste or mm-hmm. preference mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. Wow. I don't know if you're going here. Here, I'm just going to sure. throw it in there, and you can maybe a direction you're going or not going. But I, I a while back read a little book by Francis Schaeffer called Art in the Bible. Yeah. Excellent, excellent read. Mm-hmm. I think it fits really well into what we're talking about. Yep. And one of his main arguments was that um, Christians have— drop the ball when it comes to art, literature, like being at the top in Mm -hmm. all of these things. And we talked about this in the End Times podcast. Yeah, we did. We said that little spiral started to happen about the time when everybody was embracing, oh, Jesus is coming back soon because there was like no, like he's coming back soon. So we're just going to wait and Mm -hmm. not really fully engage here like we had before. And we had the top artists, the top writers. We had, we were not only competitive, but like on the top. That's right. You know, and architecture, all of that. So um, I find it interesting that it hasn't been that long since we were there, technically. Correct, Um, But boy, what a slide in so many other ways, you know, like Mm -hmm. we were relating to earlier. You let that go, then all of a sudden it affects all these other things. And what people are calling beautiful now is just, it's just not. Correct. And you you sit there on in social media, you're like, I'm sorry, but this is ugly. Or this person is not, right. they're just not, you know? Right. And it's not, right. it's not like, they're. Not, it's not that the person isn't valuable. It's just that what they're saying about that person sure. isn't sure. true. You know, mm-hmm. those kind of, kinds Correct. of things. Yeah. But you, then you sit and feel guilty for having that, thought or standard. Right. And it's like, what do you do with that? Yeah. 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 There was a recent, uh, along those same lines, there was a recent kind of dust up with, uh, with Jordan Peterson, you Mm -hmm. know, public intellectual. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, there was some, I think it was sports illustrated or, or, or whatever. And they have, you know, like a swimsuit featured thing. And basically there was an, an obese woman who they featured, right. you know, body positivity and inclusivity mm-hmm. and, you know, all those sorts of things. And they featured her on the cover. And uh, Jordan Peterson tweeted about it and he said, uh, sorry, not beautiful, period. Oh, man. And, oh, uh, <laughs> man. Just light the fire, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sheesh. It's like, well, I guess uh, he's glutton uh, for punishment. But uh, one of the things that was interesting, though, is uh, the one of the reporters from The Blaze, which is a conservative, mm-hmm. uh, roughly Christian outlet, um, or outfit, rather, um, one of their critiques was he shouldn't have said that it wasn't beautiful, and then they quoted it. They said, because beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Oh, uh, what yeah. he should have said is that's not healthy. Mm. It's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, but one of the things that they just did is they just separated three virtues that can't be separated. Good, true, beautiful. Mm. Right? So it, if it's not good, it can't be beautiful. Mm. So they actually just said the same thing when they say he should have said it's not healthy. Well, if it's not healthy, it's not beautiful either. Right. You can't. You right. can't. You can't that divorce these and things. I, that really makes right? a good point to what you're talking about here. Yep. You can't. You can't separate these out. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. Which is why when we gave up beauty and let that live in subjective land, mm-hmm. 
all of a sudden, truth fell, mm-hmm. and then goodness fell. Mm-hmm. Because you cannot divorce these three mm-hmm. things. They mm-hmm. they are a composite whole mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. God's world because He is all of those three is, is all three of those right. things. And it's it's also not arbitrary that it's three: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We don't have time to get into all of the theology behind this, but all of that is significant, and all of that is theology that comes to us from mm-hmm. from the pages of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but back back to those biblical texts uh, again. They assert definitively that God does have an opinion, call it, we'll use that language colloquially, God has an opinion about what is and is not beautiful. And what we want to say as believers is it's an accurate one. Mm. That we are then, that set a standard Mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. What God thinks about a thing is what is true about that thing. Which means it was objectively true that Rachel is beautiful and Leah is less so. Mm-hmm. That was objectively true. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also saw in those two Psalms that I that I read, ascriptions of beauty to holiness and to God himself, which what, what that does is it broadens the scope of what we might be talking about when we talk about the category of, of beauty. It shows the breadth of what can be uh, what can be beautiful. It applies to more than just the visual. Mm-hmm. You can have a beautiful piece of music, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, you can have a person who is beautiful, despite the fact that they may not be as physically attractive mm-hmm. yes. as another person. I have seen that, you know, at first glance, nothing Fantastic, fabulous. Mm-hmm. The more you got to know that person, the more beautiful they became. Sure. And I think that's that's a very real thing. And not, you know, having the difference between Lee and Rachel did not take away from either of their value. Correct. And I think that's Correct. one thing we have to be careful that people aren't hearing. Yes. Is that because Absolutely. there's also that um very um, shallow version of, you know, oh, She's beautiful, therefore she must be all these other things too. Right. Not necessarily. Right. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the Proverbs say, uh, like a gold ring in a pig's, pig's snout, snout yep. right, is a beautiful woman without virtue. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And so that's just to say that the category of beauty is uh, is deeper than just the visual. It includes the visual, but it's also right. more than that, which right. is why you can talk about the beauty of holiness, mm-hmm. worshiping God in the beauty of holiness, mm-hmm. as well as God himself being said to be beautiful mm-hmm. in the Psalms, despite the fact that he is spirit. Right. right. And that, that's one place that Francis Schaeffer went in that little book. He talked about the temple mm. and how detailed yep. God was about it. He, there was a lot of gold. There was a lot of ornate yeah. Design that went into that. So to me, that just feeds mm-hmm. into exactly what you're saying. He, he cares. Like the place where yes. he dwelled was beautiful. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he insisted upon it. Yeah. <laughs> he insisted it was, upon do it. Do this, do this, do yes. this. And very, very detailed down to the just mm-hmm. the tiniest little details. Yep. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so all of that to say that uh, as Christians, we have to insist upon the objectivity of beauty, because if it's subjective, then the Bible could be wrong about things that God says are beautiful. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so there's nothing less than the authority of Scripture and the accuracy of God. Right. So when God says something is beautiful, we, we don't take it as seriously if we think it's right. subjective. Right. Exactly. Exactly. We don't, we don't give it the authority that it actually has. Yes. Yes. And uh, and you think if, if Scripture says that God is beautiful himself, and we set that statement right alongside our aphorism that beauty's in the eye of the beholder, you see the conflict mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Well, what if I just don't find him beautiful? Oh, right. Yeah, didn't think about right? that. Mm-hmm. If beauty's in the eye of the beholder and God, God is said to be beautiful, 
then maybe not to me, though. Right. In which case, I should be off the hook for not worshiping him, not honoring him, not extolling him, and not obeying him. Mm-hmm. He, he just didn't attract me the way that he attracted you. So you do your right. thing, and I'll do my thing. Right. Which, again, shows you how beauty and truth can't be separated either. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so we want to we wanna talk about the truth that God exists. Okay, well, let's say you cover that ground, but you've still given beauty away to the relativists. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, he exists, but I don't find him beautiful, so I don't need to worship him. And to ground that even further, uh, the Bible actually defines sin, uh, I think, most clearly in terms of our reaction to beauty. Now, that's not often the way that we think about it, but think about a famous passage like Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, For all have fallen short Mm -hmm. of the glory of God. Everybody knows that verse. Now, we have a tendency to think about that in terms of uh, falling short of God's standard, you know, uh, missing the mark in terms of morality, the things that we do, the things that we say, like transgressing God's law, whatever. But that's a weird way to phrase it if that's primarily what Paul's getting at. And I don't think that is primarily what Paul's getting at. He says, all fall short of the glory of God. Now, in Scripture, glory isn't primarily something you live up to. It's something that you behold. And so what he's saying is that we have a tendency to minimize the glory of God rather than viewing it for all that it is. Uh, So basically what Paul's saying is that sin, he's defining sin as our failure to view God as being as glorious as he actually is. Like sin in the mouth of the apostle Paul is primarily us failing to view God as being as beautiful as he really is. Because if you believed that he was as beautiful as he really was, then you would chase after him and all the obedience and all those other things would follow. Right, right, right. Such that the root problem is the fact that in our sin and in our immorality, we cannot see the most beautiful thing as being as beautiful as he actually is. And this is the essence of sin per the Apostle Paul. Uh, And and so I want to say, if you say that beauty's in the eye of the beholder, you just lost the Bible's teaching about sin, which means you lost the Bible's teaching about redemption, which means you lost the Bible's teaching about salvation, which means you lost the Bible's entire view of where creation is headed. Mm. Uh, and so we're not talking about something small right. uh, or you know, impractically philosophical, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's at the heart Optional. of things. Uh, right. <laughs> yes, ex- exactly. Side dish. Exactly. It's not a side dish. Yes, yes. Um, and so hopefully that helps to establish why I would say something like uh, beauty is objective. Mm-hmm. The, the first leg of that of that argument is simply to say the Bible talks about beauty objectively, unless you want to say that God was wrong in his assessment right. uh, or that somebody else could have a different assessment that was as valid as God's assessment. And we want to say, right. no, we want to take that option yeah. off the table because we want God to stay God. Right. <laughs> right? Amen. So Amen. man can't be the measure. God has to be the measure. So mm-hmm. if he made that pronouncement, he made that pronouncement objectively. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then the second being that uh, sin actually gets defined in terms of our inability and unwillingness to see and behold the beauty mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. And that's how the Apostle Paul actually defines sin for us mm-hmm. in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, um, that that's our primary failure. He also talks about that in uh, Romans chapter 1 when he talks about exchanging the truth of God for a lie, exchanging the glory of God for other lesser mm-hmm. glories. That's mm-hmm. all through That's all through chapter 1, which is one of the reasons why I say I can ground the fact that he's talking about glory not as something that you live up to, but as something that you behold, because that's how he starts the book right, um, right. in Romans chapter 1. So um, all that is to say, I, I think pretty clearly you can see that the Bible says that this is objective, not subjective. Um, 
But then it does leave us with the question, well, but what are the standards of beauty then? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, what, what defines exactly, it? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like most of us are Bible readers, so we're like, I haven't seen the list. Right. Where the I Bible really list. like lists. By the way, <laughs> that's beautiful, that's not. That's beautiful, that's not. These <laughs> facial features, not those facial right. you know, It's like, could you give me the list then? You know, if right. it's that important, if it's that objective, like... Yeah, Please make help that, me out here. Yeah, give, give me the list. Uh, and so while it is true that we don't have that list in Scripture, the principles of beauty are embedded in the biblical text itself because the text isn't just propositional. It, it doesn't just make statements about this is true and this happened. And this, it's also structural. Uh, so the Bible has a structure. It has a way that it was constructed mm-hmm. um, because God is an architect and he's building something right. even the way that he had scripture laid out for us. And one of the things that's really interesting is that the, the Bible is written in a really sophisticated form. And so it's not just that the Bible has content that's important. It's that the form in which that content is communicated is also given to us. We've learned a lot about this at church. We've been studying the Mm -hmm. Gospel of Mm -hmm. Matthew. And one of the things that we've learned is he makes some of his most significant points, not by stating it, but by showing it in the way that he ordered the events of his gospel. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's this structural element that we're intended to be picking up on as we read through the scriptures. So a a couple examples of that. One of the most common literary devices that you're going to find in the Bible is called a chiasm. And so basically, uh, well, that sounds scary. It's saying point A, then point B, then point C, and now we're going to go back to point B, and then we're going to conclude with point A again. Now, the reason that's interesting is it makes an hourglass when you mm-hmm. diagram it. Mm-hmm. It makes a shape. Right. There's a structure to it. Uh, another really common literary device is, is parallelism. Uh, so it's creating parallel lines. Mm-hmm. And so all, all of that to say there are a tremendous number of examples that I won't bore everyone with. Uh, but the Bible is very rigorously and beautifully structured in the way that it communicates to the point mm-hmm. where if you are to think through those things and jot those things down, you'll find that it's making shapes, mm-hmm. that there are all these visuals that emerge. And one of the things that it tells us is that beauty and symmetry are related, mm-hmm. which is why the Bible is constructed symmetrically. We're going to start here. We're going to end at the same place. We want parallel lines where, we, you know, all of these different things are communicating to us the idea of symmetry, which is why what kind of architecture is beautiful to us. We want things plumb. Mm -hmm. We want things level. As much as modern artists are doing their best to try to break all of those rules, they don't, they don't make very much money. No, no, there's (laughs) something to be said for order. Yeah. And just like, yeah, I don't know how to explain it, but I, we used to live in this little house and it had, it had, it was, it had a little walkway. It was just, you know, square on the front, you know, just, Super simple, right? Two mm-hmm. a window on each side of the front door, and then there was a hedge. There was a little bit of lawn, and then there was a hedge on either side. So you'd walk through the hedge to get to the front door. Everything was very what it was on the left. It was on the right. <laughs> yes. Yep. And mm-hmm. I loved that. Yep. And I had a thing for keeping those hedges absolutely trim. And That's perfect right. Because it fit with that. You know, just that order yep. felt so good. Yep. So I think it's something we are drawn to, and we live in such a chaotic world. Yeah. That. I just feel like one of the things that draws people to God's people and to the Lord is is the order and yep. the, the peace that comes with doing things the way that he lines them out and mm-hmm. understanding them 
in a, you know, the accurate way, like what you're explaining today. So, and again, this is, you know, this all, you're going to get to this soon, but this ties into how we're educating our kids. Absolutely. So yeah, Yeah, I love that. How we raise our families and, and that's going to impact the next generation. Correct. So it starts at home and then there's a ripple effect. And if I would say like, just in trying to speak to encourage families along the way, I'm like changing the culture one family at a time. Yep. Got to have a long game. I had somebody actually ask me about this at a conference. They're like, you know, do you ever speak like directly to all the wokeism and that kind of thing? And I'm like, there are a lot of really good people out there doing a really good job of that. I said, I feel like my job is to talk to the moms and and get their their faces turned oriented toward the Lord mm-hmm. and and just walk in obedience in the four walls of their home and we do that again and again and again and again. This is a long game. Like I this is an instant gratification. This is a long game. And so mm-hmm. yeah, just being committed to that. And so I think being committed to what you're talking about today is absolutely essential. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I want to say what you're doing is more important than all the people who make sure they call out this woke, this new woke thing that somebody did or this horrible mm-hmm. thing. And, and the reason it's more important is uh, conservatives are really good at saying what's wrong with the world. Mm-hmm. But historically, we've been really bad at living in the world as it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's right. living in the world as it is that'll make it so that our kids live in a different one. Absolutely. Right? And yep. so there's no shortage of people who are saying this is wrong and this is broken and even diagnostics, like, and here's how we got here. Right. But few are the ones who will say, and here's the way forward and here's mm-hmm. a better way to mm-hmm. live, which is is more important mm-hmm. because it actually changes things. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, so... That to say, the Bible is structured symmetrically, which is to tell us something about beauty that every architect already knew, mm-hmm. which is that the things that are beautiful physically, visually, and I would argue from Scripture's writing, even textually, mm-hmm. are things that are symmetrical. And we can see that in buildings. We can see that in facial structures. Uh, the people who are beautiful are people who are symmetrical. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that makes them beautiful. Right. Right. Uh, and that's because that's telling us something about who God is, mm-hmm. that he is ordered, that mm-hmm. he is not chaotic. And as you said, the peace that that injects into his world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we do when we disrupt that order and try to say that crooked lines or whatever are the new standard of beauty is we've just injected a little bit of chaos. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chaos now, mm-hmm. obviously, is, yeah. you know, totally yeah. Well, this is one thing day. I, I want to say to moms who are listening, like your home can be that place mm. that's a safe from all of that. Yep. And in and I think we're the gatekeepers, husbands husbands and us, we're the, we're the gatekeepers of the home that we are keeping that kind of chaos from entering our home, yep. no matter what form it comes in. You know, sometimes like the enemy starts to stir up the kids. This is what I noticed. And they start bickering and fighting. And it's like, okay, everything else needs to go off to the wayside yep. in order to restore a spirit of peace in our home. Because if you don't stop that, it just goes out from there. It just continues mm-hmm. to escalate. And before you know it, you've got a hot mess. And so nipping that in the bud and dealing with it right away, not putting it off, not being distracted, not pretending it isn't happening, yep. um, but really being diligent about mm-hmm. the tone in your home. Yep, absolutely. And as much as people probably may not want to hear this, it's also one of the reasons why your home being organized matters. Yes, It doesn't just matter functionally. Mm-hmm. It matters because we're image bearers of God, mm-hmm. and, and he would have it ordered. Yeah, I and, agree. And he I would agree. have it decorated. Right. And, and he would have it symmetrical. <laughs> and there are times there's going to be stuff everywhere. And see that, and this is where, you know, like, I've just 
through all our raising years of raising the kids, I, I needed order in order to be able to think straight yep. because I think you're right. It, it has so much to do with how we're hardwired mm-hmm. and how that we are in, made in God's image, but we would have regular pickup times throughout the day. Yep. That was just a normal part of our day. And it made such a difference, just yep. never letting things get so out of hand and so out of control. And so, you know, these are all little things that we can do to implement really what you're talking about you're today. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so to draw a straight line Mm -hmm. then to education, uh, all of this does have dramatic implications for our children's education because education is not supposed to be simply the impartation of facts. Right. 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 Uh, We have a really reductionistic understanding of education in the modern, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. thinking, uh, which is basically we want you to, uh, you know, know some math facts and know some geography and have some historical facts like a flash card or whatever. Right. And that's really how we think about education. Um, but as we've seen, you can you can be really smart in those realms and be really immoral and live terribly. Right. Or just have no common sense. <laughs> also true. <laughs> also true. And yeah. great at playing trivia. But sure. Yeah. The rest of their life is a hot mess because yep. they don't know how to function as an mm-hmm. adult, you know. So, yep. yeah. But ultimately, what we want to do, education is not just mind shaping, it's Mm -hmm. soul shaping. Mm -hmm. You're shaping little humans. Right. uh, Which is to say that we want our children to actually be in love with things that are lovely Mm -hmm. because we've taught them what loveliness is. Right. They know how to identify it. They know what is beautiful. They know what is not beautiful. Because if you don't teach kids that, then Satan will, in fact, uh, swoop in and get them to go after all sorts of things that are fake beauties, right? Because they don't know and haven't and haven't really encountered what real beauty is, right? The they counterfeits. Don't know that. Exactly, exactly, and that's how that works. Daryl yeah. gave the greatest word picture for this early on, and he was talking more about like you know truth and that kind of. But this definitely falls in that category. He said he worked for the bank, and um, when they were training the tellers, they would only have them work with legitimate money, legitimate Mm -hmm. cash, no counterfeit. They didn't try to teach them what was counterfeit. They just had them handle what was the real thing week after week after week. And then if they slipped in a counterfeit, they would recognize it immediately because they were so only exposed to what was real and what Mm -hmm. was true. Yes. And so I thought that was just such a great explanation because, you know, the world tells us we have to expose our kids to all this crap. Uh, no, 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 no. You know, it, it's it's going to happen eventually that they're going to be out there sure. and they're going to be, it's going to happen, but it does not have to happen when they're little like this, right. you know? And so anyway, right. I just, um, I just yep. thought that was such a great explanation. So, which really plays into what you're saying Absolutely. here. Like we're, even in our homeschooling, we're going to surround our kids with what is good and true and right mm-hmm. and beautiful. Yep. Yep, exactly. And that's what shapes their sensibilities Mm -hmm. then, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect example. I want to show them all the real thing. And so that means, and and for some, that'll mean getting a little bit of education yourself, honestly. Oh, yeah. We're learning right alongside your kids. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because that category of beauty, that has to do with music. That has to, what is good music? What is bad music? Right. That there are objective, there's an objectively good piece of music. Bach is objectively better than Nirvana. I, yeah, I we have a tendency that. to think that it's just a matter of taste and preference. It's whatever, you know, genre you happen to like, you know, right? <laughs> right. False. No. False. Mm. They need to know what what is good music sound like. Mm-hmm. That's something that a lot of us don't think don't think about. Right. What does good art look like? What right. does good architecture look like? And so how do you find that out? 
I mean, ha- I mean, yeah. if you, you yourself don't know, mm-hmm. where would someone start? To, yeah. To one, one really good book that I'll recommend that is sort of a primer on these sure. things, a book by Ken Myers called All God's Children and Blue Suede Shoes. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned which, this to me a while back. Did I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really good uh, book, even about how the church has interfaced with culture and mm-hmm. some of the ways that we've given up beauty mm-hmm. and the ripple effects of our having mm-hmm. given up beauty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes into some more depth about how uh, God conveys to us in Scripture what is and is not beautiful. Uh, wow. Even in terms of how to identify that in something like uh, a painting or a mm-hmm. piece of music or whatever. Oh, nice. And so okay. I'd say that's a really great starting Perfect. point. But Perfect. what we want to be able to say to our kids is uh, we're under God's authority. Jesus is Lord, period. And he's the one who makes the pronouncements about what is good and what is true and what is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so if I can't answer the question for my kids, mm-hmm. uh, this is good music. This is mm, less good music. That's bad music. If I couldn't delineate that. I should think about that because it's probably a matter of years before my kids listen to stuff that I have an intuitive sense. I don't know about that, but uh, it, I couldn't explain to them right, why. Right. And so to that, to your point in asking the question, mm-hmm. uh, resources are, are going to be helpful. And mm-hmm. so I can give some more show sure. notes or whatever. Yeah, we'll but, put that in the show notes. All yeah, right. Awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share no, leave I, folks I, no I, I really just think that idea that education is soul shaping mm-hmm. not just uh the impartation of facts which means that beauty needs to be part of the education mm-hmm. they need to know what is and is not beautiful mm-hmm. because if they don't then they're going to get you know carried away by all sorts of things right. that are in fact right and this might be a little bit of a diff- slightly just slightly off of what you're saying but i'm i'm thinking about how individual each of our kids are and how god has wired beautiful things into them, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so you think about the child who maybe is really horrible at a subject or two or three, but they're very gifted in this other area. I know a lot of parents yeah. who are homeschooling have, have kids with disabilities, things like that. And just maybe just focusing on what, what wonderful things has God built into this kid and how can we you know, build on those things. Yes. And, you know, so I think just the beauty is just a thread that runs through everything mm-hmm. when it comes to our home life, our marriage, our faith, but then also, like you were saying, our, the, our education. So yeah. Yeah. awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. And I would love for you to close in a word of prayer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Father God, thanks so much uh, that you are beautiful uh, and that your world conveys that to us, um, that we are surrounded by beauty. And so we ask that uh, you would equip us as parents, as educators of our children, uh, to be able to perceive beauty as you define it and to submit to that definition and to share that definition with our, our children. That would be a regular matter, of course, for them to experience wonder and beauty and awe, uh, and that we're the ones who are holding their hand and experiencing experiencing those things with them, um, because ultimately that's what captures the heart. Um, that's what invades the mind. That's what we return to again and again. That's what invokes worship. And so what we end up finding beautiful is the thing that we will end up worshiping. Uh, and so would you help us as parents to make sure that it is you and your truth and your word um, that we see preeminently as beautiful, that we may impart that to our children. So would you help, with, help us with it. We know that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And before we part ways, I'm going to share one last resource with you, moms. Um, Are you concerned your child's current education won't give them the skills necessary to succeed in 
um, any area of life, consider homeschooling with classical conversations. By applying the classical Christian model of education, the classical conversations curriculum encourages students to learn how to learn and how to think for themselves so they can adapt to every challenge that life throws at them. Join the over 50,000 families in 50 countries who have chosen to educate their children with classical conversations and visit classicalconversations.com slash Dorinda. That's classicalconversations.com slash Dorinda. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Have a great day. 